Welcome to episode 195 of the Grip Strip Podcast, the football and IndyCar season review edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host, and I'm with my co-host, the iRacing Indy 500 champion, computer genius, a gentleman and a scholar. His name is Joshua Fine. What's going on, brother? I am doing great, Phil. Of course, uh, first weekend without racing uh, this past weekend, so a little lackluster, but of course, uh, we'll get back at it this weekend, although we'll all be asleep with uh, the 1 a.m. Grand Prix. But yeah, I um, guess we got to review IndyCar tonight and talk about everything that happened uh, this past season and review that. Yeah, we'll talk about the, the compelling year that was the 2023 NTT IndyCar season and Alex Pillow uh, becoming a two-time series champion and all else that went on uh, during the year and the key players that stood out and some other things that went on during the year, along with the update with news, since there's been some updates with the teams and what they're, uh, how they are going to be uh, formatted uh, or whatever. Uh, for uh football side, of course, we're getting a week 10 uh, on the, in terms of the matchup between uh, our two teams, uh, I'm end up happier, I guess, in this one. Um, but uh, Jacksonville definitely is still in a prime position to win their division, even with uh, the result of yesterday. Um, didn't lose anybody big, it didn't seem so. Um, even with that loss, the Niners were, were due. Uh, so we'll get into that game. We'll get into fantasy. We've got Buffalo hosting Denver in a windstorm. Um, we'll talk about that and then we'll get into, um, uh, roundup, which has MotoGP and Moto2, uh, they're ending there on their last three races of the season. Last week was at Malaysia and there'll be a Qatar this week. NHRA ended their 2023 season and crowned four, four champion, new champions. And then WRC rally Japan will also update news across the world of motorsports. And then we'll preview the Las Vegas Grand Prix, a.k.a. the 1 a.m. Grand Prix, uh, and the significance of the Las Vegas Grand Prix. There was a Las Vegas Grand Prix uh, long before either of us were born, and uh, it was in the parking lot of Caesars Palace. Uh, this time, they'll be utilizing the streets of Las Vegas. They'll be using the Strip, the FIA, or, or F1 Liberty Media has basically promoting the race on their own they bought land to make a permanent pit um pit road and um paddock area so and they're committed 10-year deal to this uh, race so we'll talk all about that josh will let us know all things going on in the world of iRacing gaming uh stuff going on in the world of indycar because of the situation with motorsports games and we'll close the deal so uh, we'll start with, of course, 2023 IndyCar, NTT IndyCar series season. Um, in, in a year that, you know, we looked at, uh, championship contenders, Will Power was the defending series champion. He'd had a strong, very consistent year in 2022 to win his elusive second title. Uh, so you would have thought that Penske would continue with that momentum. Will Power was looking at a third, trying to get that, get a third title. Uh, Chevrolet, of course, trying to c- 
continue their prowess um, in the IndyCar series. But in the end, it early in the season, we didn't really know who was going to be the lead dog. Uh, you had four different winners or five different winners in the first five races uh, with uh, Marcus Erickson winning at St. Pete. You, after with the aftermath of uh, Roman Grosjean and uh, I'm trying to remember who who he got into the incident with Roman Grosjean crashed with uh, some somebody somebody gonna get her I think it was Scott McLaughlin yeah it was Roman Grosjean and Scott McLaughlin or Roman Grosjean and and Joseph Newgarden one of those uh, then you had uh, New Garden coming back at Texas to start what ended up being a basically an oval domination season uh, for Joseph New Garden uh, McLaughlin, and then Kyle Kirkwood won his first IndyCar race at the Grand Prix of Long Beach. Uh, Scott McLaughlin won at Baba to um, uh, get his first win of 2023. Indy GP saw a dominant performance as uh, Buffalo gets a touchdown with Dalton Kincaid, and now they're back in the game. Indy GP, uh, the first one of the the year, saw Alex Pillow dominate, and it was a sign of things to come. Uh, he qualified on pole for the Indianapolis 500 and was was on, on deck to probably win the race if it weren't for an incident on pit road where Renus VK got into him. Uh, Alex Pillow had to go to tailback to, and after doing repairs to his number 10 car and then he came back from that and all the way to fourth but joseph newgarden held off marcus erickson and um prevented marcus erickson from becoming the first uh repeat winner of the indianapolis 500 since elio castro dash neves in 01 and 02 so uh, they just went and called it back what the heck okay yeah Oh, it's offsides on Denver. Okay, so the touchdown does stand, and they're going to go back out for two two point conversion. Really, this early in the game? That's crazy. Whatever. Um, Alex Pillow didn't let it stop him. He had after St. Pete, where he finished eighth, he was on a run of uh, five consecutive top fives with one win, and then he set the tone for the rest of the season by winning three consecutive races at Detroit back in the streets of Detroit, Road America and uh and Mid Ohio. Um didn't it wasn't initially uh I think in Mid Ohio nobody really thought that he was gonna win the race from where he started, but Strat went his way. Oh, great throw by Josh Allen to uh, what to Gabe Davis. He actually caught the ball. Yeah, so now it's nine to eight. Um Road America was domination uh, Mid Ohio, he ended up dominating the race, and Scott Dixon, who's won at Mid Ohio a trillion times, finished behind him. Uh, Polo got damaged early in the race at Toronto, but still recovered to finish second. Had a broken wing uh, and was able to go and finish second behind Christian Lundgaard, who became the second first time winner of 2023 there. Uh, first non top five finish since St. Pete at Iowa. Gets a third in the second race. Nashville gets a third there. And then two seventh place finishes, Indy GP and Gateway, uh, before winning at Portland, which essentially solidified the 
the championship right then and there. And then he finished third at Laguna Seca, um, 656 points, um, 2256 and 78 point victory, 78 point gap between himself and Scott Dixon, his teammate to become a two-time series champion. I mean, the one thing that we can say about um, Alex Pillow really outside of how dominant he was uh, at times is his inability to um, honor contracts. Uh, For Alex Pillow, Josh, he was unbelievable in 2023, and now he will continue at Chip Ganassi Racing for the foreseeable future, which means that I mean, can he continue this run? Can he go and be like Scott Dixon um, in and win, a, a, get into that uh, like stratosphere of champions, three championships and more, which, uh, I mean, there aren't that many guys who won more than two championships in IndyCar. So that's really, that would really speak to how good um, Alex Pillow is. But right now, he did a great job in 2023, and it's hard to find many faults with how he performed on the racetrack. Yeah, contract stuff aside, which I think you know that's all being ironed out in court and everything, and uh, looks like he's going to be at Chip Ganassi for the future, at least right now, currently. But um, you know his on-track performance um, just been consistent throughout the year. Uh, you know, had five wins, including you know. F- four out of five wins um, throughout the month of May and, uh, you know, going all the way through June and July, um, only stopped by um, himself really at Indianapolis 500, had a chance to win that one or was in contention uh, to win that one, but that didn't turn out well um, there, uh, at least not being able to win that race. But, um, you know, besides that, you know, won again at Portland and then of course had uh six additional podiums in addition to those wins. So 10 podiums total uh, to go throughout the year. So, and of course, in, in addition to that, of course, winning the most races led, led the most laps outside of Joseph Newgarden. And of course his laps uh, led or bulk of those are on ovals, but um, had a strong average finish of 3.7. Uh, so, you know, very um, for him, I think it's very Scott Dixon like of a performance, you know, from you know what we've seen over the years from Scott Dixon, I think he's uh, taking well to what you know his veteran teammate has been able to put up over his career, and um, I think you know, I think I've said it before, but it looks like it's kind of a shifting of the guard uh, at Chip Ganassi Racing. Obviously, Scott Dixon still trying to go for seven titles, um, which you know puts him in the realms of that uh, seven title club. Uh, as we've seen in other forms of motorsports in F1 and NASCAR, but uh, you know, for Scott Dixon, I think uh, it's he's going to have to have a really phenomenal year next year to be able to get to Alex Pillow, and likewise, I think you know Alex Pillow is becoming that uh, driver in uh, IndyCar that can be dominant from a year-to-year basis, like what we've seen from Scott Dixon. So um, definitely think Alex Pillow. You know, after 2022, we thought he wasn't. Uh, that great and we thought he'd be hampered by uh, his contract situation and we thought he'd be a, a sitting duck while well, he comes out and lights the IndyCar world on fire and goes out and wins the championships so uh, I think 
yeah, as long as as long as he continues to do what he's been doing, then uh, I think he has a strong chance of repeating uh, in champion uh, next year, and it's going to be really tough for the rest of the field to beat him. And you know, I think um, the only thing left that he needs to do really is win an Indianapolis 500, which he's been in contention uh, a few times for. So we'll see if uh, he's able to you know finally come come through with that next season. Yeah, and that's one thing. The ovals are basically the only. Uh, part of his game that he hasn't mastered but when you consider who he drives for and the uh, experience he continues to gain it's only a matter of time going and setting a one and four lap track record at indianapolis to win the pole for the 500 speaks to an ability to put things together on uh, big ovals uh, short ovals uh, are a bit more of a challenge and I think if he was able to pick up that piece, the short oval um, piece, it would be absolutely ridiculous um, and almost unstoppable. Uh, but I, it you can't you can't go and completely say that that's. I mean, saying he's unstoppable, it was what he was this year. But you look at Scott Dixon, the six-time champion, the the ageless wonder the man who has ran for chip ganassi longer than anybody in the history of the organization uh the start of the year was pretty was was somewhat quiet long beach he got wrecked by him and pato award got into a little argy bargy and he fell out of that race and that was essentially that was the only blemish on his whole entire uh season every other race he finished in the top 10 and which is very uh scott dixon like and in many years that would have been good enough you look at his gap he was 90 points ahead of scott mclaughlin he would have won a championship but his teammate just was better Uh, winning three of the last four races though shows that uh scott dixon isn't going away uh, it is the challenge to go and beat his own teammate, just like he had when Dario Franchitti was around, is is there. But the difference between Dario and and Polo is that Dario and Scott were compatriots. They were contemporaries, essentially. I mean, uh, Dario had been in the series for a couple of years prior to Scott Dixon, maybe two, three years, I think, uh, before Scott Dixon ended up. Uh, starting uh, his career, but they're contemporaries. Alex Pelot is r- much younger, and the future is with him uh, at Chip Ganassi Racing. We'll talk about what is now an expanding Chip Ganassi Racing IndyCar program, but um, Dixon winning three of the last four races, uber consistent, you know, going and having podium on three wins, and six podiums no finish worse than seventh outside of long beach uh, is a championship level uh performance and it and it speaks to the viability of scott dixon nothing there aren't any major changes coming along with his pnc bank honda team so he'd be coming back he'd have the momentum he wants to start out well uh limit those bad races that's the way to go and um win championships and that he can avoid that at long beach uh or saint pete for the first time in a in a while 
in his, in a long time, he had a good finish at St. Petersburg. So, um, I mean, he's, he, you always, you can never count out Scott Dixon in IndyCar for as long as he's going to be around. He's probably going to be racing until he's a hundred. Uh, but he's going to be good and he's going to be a factor. Uh, another, another piece uh, is we go from the Honda, uh, the top two guys are Honda drivers and we get into Chevrolet and the drivers who finished third through fifth. And if we expand it, get, uh, from third through seventh for those five drivers were Chevrolet drivers, the three Penske guys, Scott McLaughlin, Joseph Newgarden and defending champion, Will Power and sandwich in between was Pato award. Um, McLaughlin ended up finishing, uh, four points ahead of Pato award and uh new garden was nine points behind his bus bro uh brother and uh will power ended up finishing seventh in points chevrolet ends up winning the manufacturer's championship uh i think it was a combination of strength and numbers but i also think quality there's also an aspect of quality where chevrolet had uh penske racing and you had mclaren while uh honda was ganassi and, uh, you know, you had some flashes from Ray Hall and then some flashes from Andretti, but they weren't as strong. That's really where, um, where, you know, Honda loses out there and they're probably looking at, um, take making adjustments to that and doing better in 2024. But I mean, when you look at Chevrolet, Scott McLaughlin only won one race, uh, in 2023 but sprinkled around that one race win were a three non outside of the top 10 finishes uh, it took until uh until detroit where he started to uh get more consistent finishing the top 10 he finished in the top 10 every race for the rest of the year um but he only had two more or four more top fives two more podiums uh, so it wasn't a consistent year for Scotty, uh, but in his now, what is it, his third season um, in IndyCar, he's so he solidified himself as a, um, yeah, so 2021, 20, 22, yeah, or his fourth year in, um, in his fourth year in, in IndyCar, uh, he's really, truly uh, solidifying himself as a championship contender the competitiveness has to and consistency has to get there but he's he's undeniably fast on road courses uh that talent is always shown from his days in the supercars um but only one win and that general inconsistency while your your uh championship um rivals are are finishing in the top five regularly is something that has to improve a uh, paddle award had three runner-up finishes in the first five races of the year and a fourth place at Baba. But the incident with Scott Dixon at Long Beach relegated him to a 17th place finish. Indianapolis, he was running up front with a chance to win the Indy 500 and crashed. And then he was involved in a first lap incident with uh, his teammate Felix Rosenquist uh, at Detroit. Or yeah, and he had issues with this car of... shutting off on pit road so that those those two finishes basically ended his chance at the championship right then and there um 
he would finish on the podium another four times uh, at uh, another four times during the year. And I don't know what that that is. I, it says four, five, six, seven. Oh, he finished ninth. Yeah, he finished ninth in the season finale. Okay. Um, award continues to show why he's the lead dog at McLaren. Uh, somebody who's been very, who's one of the fastest guys. Oh, that's a bad pick by Josh Allen. That is a really bad pick. Um, I mean, Award didn't win a race, but he was a factor throughout the season. And he's someone that with further further consistency, working on his consistency, I think he'll be there uh, for the foreseeable future. Joseph Newgarden's season was a tale of uh, two parts. I think you look at Texas where he battled O'Ward to the finish and beat him there. Uh, of course, winning at Indianapolis to finally get over that, um, get that monkey off his back, um, running into the crowd, all the emotion, basically uh, confirming that he's never going to get fired by Roger Penske. Um, he's probably going to be employed there for the next 30 years uh, by going and winning that Indianapolis 500. Uh, he won both races at Iowa. He finished second at Road America, but sprinkled around those results was uh, a, really a, a hodgepodge. You had some really bad races and and not the most amazing um, performance from a guy who is a multi-time series champion. Uh, but he was in the race early for after Indianapolis. He was leading the points, I think, or was up there. And uh, 10th at Detroit, second in Road America, he was still in the mix. And I think he was still really uh, had a chance after the Iowa doubleheader but then consecutive 25th place finishes at Indy GP2 and Gateway, uh, which is one of his best racetracks, of course, um, when he was trying to sweep the season on ovals, um, essentially uh, ended his campaign. But uh, I'll talk about those three guys, Josh. I mean, for Penske, they wanted to get another championship. They get two guys in the top five in points. They get the Indianapolis 500 for the first time in a few years. Joseph Newgarden gets over that uh, proverbial hump. Um, Paddle Award was there, and he had a chance at a lot of races this year to win, but they didn't get that win. McLaren, even though they expanded to three teams, they weren't able to win uh, a race this year. Alex Alexander Rossi comes in to the fold. Felix Rosenquist. Um, ran for them and uh now is on his way out but uh they solidified i think mclaren made themselves probably uh, there was a question of are they one of the big time teams i think now they are and uh and then chevrolet is relying on them along with penske racing to go and continue winning manufacturers championships what did you what did you take away from those three guys and chevy in general in uh 2023 yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with Award, um, you know, he had a, a lot of chances uh, throughout the year to win um, mainly St. Petersburg and uh, the Indianapolis 500. You know, at St. Petersburg, um, he was in the lead until four laps to go and had an issue um, on the front stretch and got passed by uh, Marcus Erickson there and wasn't able to get back around him 
uh, and ended up losing the race. Uh, so you know, I, had, I had a chance to start the year uh, with the victory, but it uh, didn't pan out that way uh, for him. And then um, at the Indy 500, of course, uh, you know, he was up there racing, potentially racing for the win and, you know, made a desperation move into turn three underneath Marcus Erickson and uh, spun out and uh, crashed there. So um, those are honestly two of his best chances to win uh, this season. And really for, you know, what McLaren, you know, what they wanted to do this year, I think they had to be disappointed that uh, they didn't win a race with any of their drivers. Them, You know, they, they had chances throughout the year. You know, uh, Alex Rossi uh, had a chance at Detroit to possibly get around, uh, and you know, get a uh, pass against uh, Alex Pillow, uh, but wasn't quite able to get it done there. Um, you know, had uh, you know chance uh, again with the award at uh, St. Petersburg in Indianapolis, and uh, Felix Rosenquist was also good in the Indy 500, but ended up uh, crashing out of that one uh, as well. So you, know, you have to wonder. Um, you know, there's probably a bit of disappointment there that they uh, didn't win a race. Uh, Pato also, you know, finished second in uh, Gateway. Uh, of course, Scott Dixon won that race, but um, led laps there and uh, was, you know, in contention to possibly uh, get a win there. So, uh, you know, a little bit disappointing there, but, um, you know, they had opportunities throughout the year, but you know, I think they're going to get better. And, of course, they um, upgraded with uh, uh, David Malukas and uh, uh, going to McLaren. So um, I think, that's going to be interesting dynamic there as well. So, um, you know, you have, uh, that, that opportunity there for them to, um, kind of build upon what they did this year. And then, you know, for Penske with, uh, Scott McLaughlin and, uh, Joseph Newgarden, of course, McLaughlin, you know, in that same St. Petersburg race, um, tangled with, uh, Roman Grosjean, uh, you know, coming out of the pits and, Obviously, that was a battle between those two drivers in that race. And, um, you know, I think for uh, McLaughlin, again, like Pato Award, that was also a missed opportunity there for him to come out and uh, get a victory there. So, uh, you know, for him not to get a win in the first race of the season, you know, it's kind of kind of a disappointment uh, there, of course. But at the same time, um, you know, his finishes weren't really that bad uh the first couple of races of the season, considering, you know, where they finished, you know, they got a sixth place at Texas, uh, 10th at Long Beach, which is a, you know, an Indy car, which is okay. The top 10 still. Um, and then, you know, they won at, at, uh, Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama. So, you know, there was that opportunity as well, uh, you know, to start out season well, which they relatively did their fourth place in the standings after, uh, the, uh, Barber. And then at, you know, Indianapolis, they didn't really have a good month of May 16th at the Grand Prix and then 14th, uh, at the Indy 500. Um, and then after that, they didn't finish outside the top 10. So, you know, they eventually made their way up to uh, third place in the standings. So, um, you know, really, I think maybe Scott McLaughlin could have had a better placement in the standings. Um, if he would have had a you know better month of May and if, um, you know, he, uh, would have had a better showing at St. Petersburg, um, uh, a possible win there. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, it was a very, very consistent year overall for McLaughlin, even though he uh, didn't win as many races. And, of course, he also won the pole uh, at Nashville and led laps there and, you know, possibly could have had a win uh, there. But, uh, you know, Kyle Kirkwood ended up taking that win uh, there. So, you know, for uh, McLaughlin, of course, um, you know, it's got to build upon that consistency and uh, convert 
some of that into wins. And then, you know, for New Garden, you know, obviously wins the biggest race of the year in uh, the Indy 500 and won all but one of the oval races. But, you know, I think his results kind of show he was a bit more of a boomer bus driver uh, than in recent years uh, in, in uh, IndyCar. So, um, you know, they were kind of inconsistent on the road courses throughout the season. Uh, and then at the end of the year, you know, they had a chance to kind of reel in Alex Plow for a victory, but then of course, you know, at the Indianapolis Grand Prix at the second running uh, in August, they had a poor showing there, um, got caught up in an early accident and were never able to, uh, you know, get out of, uh, you know, you know, get back uh, from that momentum loss there. And then uh, Gateway, they led a ton of laps there, were on the pole and then had handling issues and then uh, ended up falling out of the race with uh, contact uh, that they made. So, uh, just a unfortunate ending for him, of course, was, uh, I think, because of his oval wins, ended up being the main challenger to uh, Alex Blow throughout the year. Uh, but, you know, it would have been, even if they had those races back with uh, the Indianapolis Grand Prix and then at Gateway, I think it still would have been a tough order for him to be able to, uh, you know, get up against uh Alex Blow there. I mean, even before that Grand Prix at Nashville, they finished fourth, but... They were still looking at the standings. They're still 84 points behind uh, Alex Pelos. So uh, still would have been a tough order for uh, for Newgarden to be able to, you know, possibly get closer to the points lead and apply pressure um, and everything. Because then at Laguna Seca, you know, they had a poor running there and ended up finishing in uh, 21st. But, you know, of course, by that by that point of the, you know, the year, at the end of the year, they are already out of contention. So, you know, things, you know, if they were in contention, then obviously maybe that race turns out a little bit differently, but, you know, they um, just weren't, you know, outside of those oval wins, they, you know, were very hit or miss throughout the year. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, Penske overall, I don't think they have too much to worry about, but, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, they were just a little, a little off in some areas that I think prevented them from, you know, being able to compete for the driver's title. But of course, it's good enough, I think, with, you know, all three drivers that we mentioned, uh, McLaughlin Award and uh, Newgarden being able to uh, go out and uh, be good enough to win and contribute to the manufacturer's title uh, in IndyCar. So, uh, you know, at least uh, Chevy can hang their hats on that uh, performance and what they were able to do throughout the year. Yeah, and they they're going to be a factor no matter what, you know, Penske is Penske, you know, you can't ever count them out no matter where the, what the race is or what the track is. So new garden going for a third championship, McLaughlin trying to get that first championship and add his name to the Indianapolis 500 winners list for Penske. Now that's something that we'll be looking at more consistency in general and more winning from those guys. Oh, uh, I brought up, Kyle Kirkwood um, and Christian Lingard, both of those guys uh, bring up the next generation, really, of of the IndyCar drivers. You have contrasting stories. You have Kyle Kirkwood, who has had uh, a taste of European racing, but ended up going through the road road to Indy and uh, winning championships in every class and uh, ended up getting to IndyCar racing for Foyt, did a lot of wrecking driving for Foyt uh, a couple of years ago, and then this year uh, advanced, came back to Andretti Autosport, or now one does Andretti Global, to um, 
to race uh, take over the seat that was vacated by Alexander Rossi. And he gets the two wins on the year. He gets his first win, of course, at Toyota Grand Prix, I mean, the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. And that's, he adds his name to a, a very big group of guys who have won their first career race at, at Long Beach. Michael Andretti, uh, Paul Tracy. Uh, is that the Grey Cup? Yeah. Um, just to name, name a few. Uh, there's, I mean, those are just a couple of those names. I mean, there's been famous names that have won at Long Beach. So Kyle Kirkwood adds his name to that list. He also went at Nashville, uh, used a good strategy and pace to get that second win on the season. There were times where he kind of went uh, went missing because Andretti's um, competitiveness uh, in general wasn't great at times. It held both uh, Kyle Kirkwood and Colton Herta back, uh, but I think there might be something changing with that leading into this next year. Christian Lundgaard, in for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, uh, his his pace, especially one lap pace, was he showed it from his first time driving an Indy car at the Indy Grand Prix in August, uh, in the August race a couple of years ago, and this year he uh, showed that uh, he was he had great pace or he had the ability to run up front, and once he was able to get. A pole position, which he did, uh, which he did at Toronto. He took advantage of that and basically was lights to flag uh, Victor there. Um, both Indy GP races, he was he had a really competitive car. Mid Ohio, which is a home game for Ray Hall, um, they were very very competitive. Those were the bright spots for him and. I guess you'd call Barber and um, I mean, the road courses are definitely where Christian Lundgaard coming from the Formula One feeder system where he's going to show his prowess. But what it also showed is that Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan can put good cars out there, uh, competitive winning cars out there uh, after a few lean years for that organization. Uh, I'm going to combine this with the Marcus Erickson since Marcus Erickson uh, will be moving after spending multiple years with uh, Ganassi initially ran for McLaren and then went now had been at Ganassi he's going to be moving over to Andretti Autosport or Andretti Global sorry I did it again um, to uh, race as teammates with Kirkwood and Colton Herta and that was the big uh, big news of the silly season his decision and where he would go uh played a big role and it in the dominoes started to fall from there uh when it comes to the two new first-time winners uh it's not uh i mean in terms of winning an indy car is very difficult to win an indy car when you have the likes of dixon polo new garden um etc etc but to be a a young driver, be in his second, be in a second year on the series, and to go and get a victory in such a tight field, uh, it speaks to their viability. I mean, Kyle Kirkwood is unquestioned one of the best that's come through the road to Indy. Can he go out there and um, 
become a championship contender that's to be determined uh he definitely has assisted Lexus in their winning championships in IMSA. But and then with with Christian Lundgaard, his goal was Formula One, but now he's he's primed in IndyCar and Ray Hall's has signed him up for a long term deal. Those two guys, I think, with the road to Indy and showing how uh, the guys coming from Indy next, there there's two feeder systems for IndyCar right now. You have the Indy Next guys and the Road Indy, but then you also have the Formula 2, Formula 3 pipeline uh, in Europe because now a lot of these drivers that are winning and doing well there uh, are ending up without a seat because Formula 1 only has 20, 20 seats and uh, a lot of them are taken up and are held by younger drivers and that are that are that have long-term futures and the ones that aren't long-term guys, they still have multi-year contracts. So the, in terms of looking at uh, Kyle Kirkwood and, and Christian Lundgaard are, do we look at those guys as, as title contenders after, after this season, after now that they have been become winners on the IndyCar circuit or what do they have to work on to become title contenders uh, in 2024, Josh? Well, I, I think Kyle Kirkwood has a better chance of being a title contender than um, than Christian Lundgaard. I think Lundgaard is, uh, while uh, RLL's been uh, on the turnaround as a whole, you know, this uh, past year they both performed. You know, after they had their debacle at the Indy 500, you know, they kind of turned it around. You know, Graham Rahal had a great performance late in the year. Christian Lungard won, of course, uh, at Toronto. But um, I think they um, have a lower ceiling um, as a team uh, compared to Andretti. Uh, um, not really sure. I believe uh, that they're able to, you know, even with their performance uh, with uh, Christian Lungard, I'm not sure that, you know, they can perform uh, to championship contending level uh, with that team, but that doesn't mean that they can't pick up a uh, win or two here or there. So I don't, it's not really his fault. I just uh, think he's going to be limited by uh, the team uh, there, uh, but they still have a chance to, you know, be a, um, at least a, you know, t- I mean, they are a top 10 contending team, but um, they could maybe get into the top five, but it's just, you know, hard to see them, you know, get into like the top three of the standings or uh, anything like that. But um, Kirkwood, you know, I think he has a little bit better of a chance, though. I think, you know, Andretti, I mean, they they haven't really performed well either in the last couple of years, but, um, you know, he won a handful of races and uh, got got a couple of podiums. So um, I think it's, it's going to be key on uh, Andretti being able to um, – kind of rebuild their downsizing to three cars now uh, this next season. So, you know, we'll see uh, if the resources that they focus in on uh, only only being three cars kind of helps them rather than being spread out to four. So, um, yeah, I think Kirkwood, you know, he, he did well in the street course races at uh, Long Beach, of course, and then at Nashville. So uh, the strategy is there. So um, kind of rebuilding year for uh, – Andretti after you know, years of being off, but um, you know I think uh, they have a good chance of being a better a better team next year. Um, you know if they're able to put it together uh, at some of these road courses. You know they had uh, opportunities at 
Um, St. Petersburg, of course, they had opportunity to potentially get a, a you know good finish there uh, before they got caught off from some stuff. Uh, you know, they still need to improve their oval uh, program. You know, had DNFs at Texas and Indianapolis. Uh, you know, didn't perform well uh, at Gateway relatively. Uh, Iowa, you know, they ran okay, so um, they still have opportunities to improve. But I feel like with uh, you know what he was able to do in this car otherwise you know what he's able to do on past teams i think he has a higher a higher ceiling um you know to finish well but potentially be a kind of a wild card in the standings uh, as far as uh contending for the championship goes yeah that's i mean i i agree that uh the path for kirkwood is probably much uh smoother even though andretti's recent performance hasn't been amazing uh the years of Alexander Rossi being up there to compete for championships is going on five, four and five years ago uh, or five or six years ago. So um, bringing up, well, that's why I wanted to bring up Erickson. He comes in as a veteran type of presence in the IndyCar series as a a winner uh, in all different types of, I mean, winning street course races, permanent road course, and of course ovals. And then he, um, he also comes in as as uh, uh, someone who's a stabilizing force, someone who brings cars home to the finish compared to the guy he's replacing in Roman Grosjean, uh, his former Formula One uh, compatriot. Uh, he comes in with, uh, with Kyle Kirkwood and Colton Herta, who everybody knows how fast he is, but putting putting it all together for a full season has been that uh ultimate um bugaboo for for colton uh long term is he's going to be an indy car uh unless you know michael andretti's uh, and uh the guy the the gainbridge guy if they end up getting the formula one team to come off then colton herta more than likely is going to formula one but the when you look at those rookies and looking or looking at those guys who won last this year, um, trying to go and win in the series, you can't take it away from guys trying to win, uh, especially when you're in or relatively inexperienced. So the fact they were able to do that uh, speaks to ability. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan made improvements, especially after the nightmare that was the Indianapolis 500. Uh, they are in a place now uh, that um, we'll talk about them in terms of a silly season that I think they might be in as good of a spot as they've been in a long, long time. I, I keep on talking about Erickson, and he was the main uh, player in the silly season, as I said. Uh, he ends up going to Andretti to team with those two young guys, Andretti Global will now be a three-car organization. For a long time, they've been a four-car organization. Essentially, that extra car from Andretti uh, is going to be at Ganassi because Ganassi goes and they have uh, Palo and Dixon. The eight car is going to be taken over. Uh, the eight car will be taken over by former Indy Next champion Linus Lundquist, who it took most uh, took a while in the season for him to get an opportunity he ended up driving for Meyer Shank Racing and utilized that 
um, opportunity and because of the injuries that Simon Pagino unfortunately had suffered um, in in a wreck at Mid Ohio. Um, basically, that was the end of his uh, season. Hopefully, it isn't the end of his career, but the way things have trended relative to guys who have been in a similar boat, we don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, that opportunity for Linus Lundquist opened the door for um, Chip Ganassi to go and say, I want to sign him and bring him into the fold. And that's what he did. Uh, he will bring Linus Lundquist into Ganassi to drive the eight car, taking over for uh, Erickson and then Marcus Armstrong, who won the rookie of the year this year, only running the road courses, will be running the full season in 2024. And he will be driving a fourth uh, car full-time for uh, Ganassi. And then the shocking news, which came out, was um, 19-year-old Kiffin Simpson, who's uh, spent time in the sports car realm, uh, ran Indy Next. He was uh, put in, and he's going to be a fifth full-time car for Chip Ganassi Racing. So there's a lot of youth coming in. And Ganassi, who has been averse to running young talent, all of a sudden now has four of his five guys are under like 27 years old or whatever it is. So um, it's an interesting play by Ganassi to go and basically hedge with uh, Dixon being that that veteran, the dad. And then he has like four sons now out there essentially um, at Ganassi. Those are the two main Honda teams. Then you have Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan, who will, um, of course, Green Ray Hall will be back. Um, we'll see how many more years he's going to race. It sounds like the days of him racing are getting closer to the end and more likely he's getting to the days of becoming an owner. And um, Lundgaard is there. And then they signed Pietro Fittipaldi to be their third driver. So bringing the Fittipaldi name back to IndyCar Racing, uh, his um, his grandfather, Emerson Fittipaldi, of course, the two-time IndyCar Series champion, two-time Indianapolis 500 winner, former Formula One world champion, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he's uh, coming back to IndyCar after spending a few years as the test and reserve driver for Haas in F1, um, doing sports car racing. Uh, so that'll be a new team. That'll be a interesting uh, combination there. Dale Coin Racing hasn't announced who's going to be in their two cars. So TBA, the TBA drivers will be there at least for the foreseeable future. We'll see who ends up getting the call there. Um, I mentioned Simon Pagino. He ended up uh, not being able to finish the year for Meyer Shank Racing. Meyer Shank ended up uh, essentially giving their uh, Acura uh, LMP, LMDH to Andretti uh, Wayne Taylor Racing, and instead they're going to focus on IndyCar. Tom Blomquist, who's been their driver for a couple of years uh, in sports cars, will now be uh, driving full-time in IndyCar next year. And Felix Rosenquist, who has been at Ganassi and then at Ray Hall, will now be coming over to drive the 60 car um, for for Meyer Shank after what was a really bad year 
for the team in IndyCar. Um, they're going to look to rebound and reset in 2024 with a new driver lineup with the Quists uh, from Sweden. Of course, um, Tom Blomquist, his father, is a legendary Stig Blomquist, uh, World Rally champion. And then Felix Rosenquist has had pace, has been one a fast driver over time, but has had a lot of bad luck in, in his time in IndyCar. So we will see what happens there uh, in terms of uh, the um, Honda guys. I mean, those are the main Honda teams. In terms of Chevy, Penske doesn't have any changes coming for their main team. Uh, Penske, though, has made a connection with AJ Foyt Racing, and they're going to be uh, providing additional support to AJ Foyt's team. Um, the beneficiary, at least next year, more than likely is going to be Santino Ferrucci. But the long-term goal, I think, is to see Miles Rowe uh, drive for uh, AJ Foyt Racing in IndyCar to have a full-time African-American driver on the circuit. Um, he is coming off of winning the U.S. Uh, U.S. Pro 2000 or F2000 championship this past season, and now is moving up to Indy next. So we'll see how he does in 2024 there and how that uh, progression goes, if he's going to end up being in uh, an IndyCar sooner rather than later. Um, the uh, Josh brought up uh, the change with McLaren. Of course, Rosenquist moves on. And uh, he will be replaced by David Malukas, and he'll be a fully funded driver. David Malukas, instead of bringing the funding to the to the organization, they'll be taking over that third car. Um, so we'll see how that goes. In terms of uh, other teams, you have the Ed Carpenter Racing Team. Renus VK continues there. Ed Carpenter gets rid of the third car. And he's going to go back to running the ovals with the 20. And he's going to um, share the car with the defending Indy Lights champion, um, which now I'm forgetting. Uh, just give me a second here. Or Indy Next champion uh, from Christian Rasmussen will end up uh, being the driver for the majority of races uh, in 2024. And he will also run the Indianapolis 500. So that'll be an opportunity for him, especially at Indy, uh, to see what he can do. Uh, very continues the trend of these very fast young drivers, but can Ed Carpenter Racing put a team or a team together that'll be competitive? That's the curiosity after a few lean years for that organization. Uh, the Junkos Hollander team had... Uh, had Callum Eilat for the last couple of years, but controversy that came from the Argentinian fan base, um, the anger and vitriol that came from the fans of Augustin Canapino, who finished second in the rookie race. Um, in the end, Callum Eilat now is on the streets without a job, uh, which is pretty weak considering the performances he put in relative to the equipment that he had there, um, top Firestone fast sixes going up there and giving himself a chance to compete for uh, 
compete for for good results he finished in the top five he bookended the season with top five finishes at saint pete and then uh at laguna seca so um he's he's a really talented race car driver somebody who was in the formula one pipeline as well so it's somebody that we'll look at the replacement for him there will be Roman Grosjean, who's going to be dovetailing his time with the Lamborghini team in IMSA and WEC, um, along with uh, racing that prototype. And then he'll be racing IndyCar. And then Augustin Canapino is going to be back as as a second driver there. Um, Other than that, I'm trying to think of who else is on the grid in terms of the Chevy teams. I think that's that covers all of them. because I don't, I'm looking through the the results of last year, and I'm trying to see who else was out there. And yeah, I think that's basically it. So those are the changes. Those are what's what the uh, the silly season has. I mean, we still have a few drivers to be determined. Uh, you have the two Dale Coin cars are going to be determined, and so probably funding guys who have funding are probably going to be taking those rides, but. We'll see what happens with that. Um, so let me see. We talked about um, the last piece we'll get into before we move on. Um, I mean, what stood out in this season, uh, I guess, is a general question and what needs to change for the series. Um, I'll give my thoughts here in a moment. And then the introduction of hybridization to the series, which will basically give like a full-time uh, opportunity for push to pass instead of having the push to pass element you're going to have um, hybrid regeneration breaking uh, uh, breaking regeneration and they're going to be able to go and use that stored energy uh, in a hybrid component to go and use it as push to pass you'll have push to pass essentially on ovals which will be interesting especially at the indianapolis 500 uh in terms of drafting and overtakes. But I mean, for me with IndyCar, it'll always be uh, the promotion aspect of it. They have a great product. The cars are cool. Um, Even though they've been around for a long time, they sound good. They're not as cool as the old days with the Indy in the cart champ car days, but they, they suffice. They sound better than formula one cars. Uh, They look all right. They, you have a lot of great drivers, but you wouldn't know that this series exists if you you see it in you know in the media, the way that they promote the series. Roger Penske is a multi-billionaire, and the guy can't spend a few hundred bucks to go and have promotions. Like I've said it multiple times on the show that I'll I'll gladly work for IndyCar and promote this series in social on the social media side or whatever. Because this series needs not just they just not only an influx of people who have passion for the sport and could actually talk about it, but there also has to be people who connect to the past, which is something we lost with the the passing of Robin Miller. He was one of those last bastions of the eras gone by of the Foyts and Mario Andretti's and the um, Al Unser seniors and Johnny Rutherford and uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's those days we've lost uh, that connection to IndyCar. And that's cool to talk about in terms of history because that history is valid 
and it is especially valid when you talk about the 500. They don't promote they don't promote all these interesting um, factoids and tidbits, and they don't promote these drivers. Paddle Award is popular largely one probably social media, but two because he's he of his Mexican heritage. That's the reason why he's popular. It isn't because people promote him. You know, you look at Scott Dixon, the guy is one of the winningest drivers in the history of motorsports, one of the most prolific drivers in the last 25 years. And he's a stranger. He could probably walk into a walk into your local target and people wouldn't even bat an eye, which is crazy to me. You got, I mean, the, the most popular drivers uh, on in the series, like one of them is Connor Daly, and he's not even employed, uh, and James Hinchcliffe, who's an announcer. Like, literally, those are the two most popular people uh, that I can come up with when it comes to IndyCar. Joseph Newgarden has a presence, but he's, I think the bus bros thing for him and Scott McLaughlin, it's a niche uh, thing for the, the fans of IndyCar, but what kind of reach does Joseph Newgarden have outside of the IndyCar circuit? Even though he's somebody who looks the part, he's box office, he's well-spoken, nobody, he's not getting promoted. He won the Indianapolis 500. He's the first American to win the Indianapolis 500 since, what, like Ryan hunter Ray? I mean, come on now. Like, we're... we're Rossi. Rossi, my bad. Mm. I mean, Rossi is one of the funniest guys there is. He has a dry sense of humor, and he does a podcast with freaking, with Hinch, but... Nobody talks about him like that. The fundamentally, that's my biggest problem with IndyCar. They the the way they cover the race is something I'm fine. I can deal with the the amount of commercials and you know some of the stuff that comes with these broadcasts because at least they're shown on NBC and they're shown on television. You know, like they're actually shown either on you can either find them on NBC or you can find them on USA. Or worst case, you find them on Peacock. I mean, the way things are going with streaming, you're more likely to have streaming uh, as a part of a lot of these uh, series and sports in the near future anyway. So Peacock is relatively viable. um, And for the price point that you pay for it, I don't think it's that bad. Um, But that's me. I mean, I know there's other people who disagree with that, but... The promotional piece is what bothers me because of how many interesting characters there are in IndyCar. Um, we spend so much time talking about NASCAR, and most of the guys in the on the NASCAR circuit are are as as uh, as entertaining as this, which is my the can my holder for my my headphones. And like the one thing they're lucky about they got lucky with is that ryan blaney is probably their most popular driver and he is their champion that's the one good thing they got going for him because otherwise most of them other guys have have the personality of of a, a of a lamppost and and don't really bring anything to the table there's indycar guys that are really interesting really funny and compelling but you wouldn't know that because they don't even get a one rating for some of these races which is sick uh, to say the least. Uh, what say you, Josh, in regards to that? And and also in terms of hybridization, I think it's good that they're incorporating it. It's kind of wonky in the way they are, though. But because the car is old and and all these things, and it why IndyCar and they aren't trying to subsidize 
making a new car when Delara's in Speedway and all this stuff is something that they'll have they have to answer. The teams are gonna like have a mutiny, but in the end, all these guys are multi-millionaires. Uh, the notion that they can't afford a new car is BS to me too. But you know that's why IndyCar is IndyCar. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, what needs to change or what can get better, and then um, the hybrid component being brought into uh, IndyCar racing here in 2024? Well, I mean, to kind of add on to your point of the promotion, I mean, remember they had the 100 Days Indie show on the CW, uh, which uh, I will admit on here that I didn't even watch it. So uh, I probably should have. Uh, I just, you know, uh, never made it a priority. And I mean, I think it's free to stream now somewhere, so I'll have to uh, pick it up and watch it. Um, but just, uh, you know, haven't. Ne- you know, never made it a priority to for whatever reason and well, i saw some clips of it and everything but i just never got around to watching it and stuff and um i generally don't really watch tv outside of live sports to be honest anyways you know i um still on like season two or whatever of drive through to survive uh so um you know i there's like what like four or five seasons of that now and it's like my my excuse is that uh you know, it's hard for me to watch something that I already know has happened uh, in there. And that really series like that is not for me, but for um, people who are trying to get interested in uh, racing and need need that background to kind of, you know, get the behind the scenes look so they can actually care about the drivers. Whereas we, you know, we understand it from the racing standpoint. So we know um, because of that, we are able to invest in the drivers and that's there's that part of it too. So, um, but I mean, I can't even really, you know, tell you about like the, uh, documentary itself, but, you know, I think, um, the fact that, you know, wasn't, they weren't able to really get anything from that, you know, that was on the, on the CW rather than, uh, on, you know, a streaming platform. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be Netflix, right. Um, you know, we have drive survive on there, but it could be other platforms like, you know, why, why can't they, uh, partner, you know, with Peacock to, uh, you know, with NBC's right there. Like why, why couldn't that be a Peacock series or, um, you know, Disney plus like, well, I mean, I guess that's a conflict there, but, um, you know, I, uh, just to give an example, like, you know, there's other streaming platforms out there. I mean, I guess with NBC, it's right there with Peacock and, you know, you have, the pr- cross promotion there, uh, you know, with, with Peacock and be able to, uh, promote the hundred days to Indy. Uh, obviously this series has been struggling s- to have any popularity since, uh, 1996. And, you know, the only time that I think on a large mass scale that people ever cared about IndyCar since then was, you know, the couple of years that, you know, Dan Kilpatrick was actually somewhat relevant. So, um, you know, I mean, obviously cause she's a woman and everything, um, and was, what some somewhat hot back then so you know uh there's that but you know they haven't really been able to uh break into the mass mass appeal um and it sucks because i think they have you know if you compare all the big series and racing you know i think they have some of the best racing that you can offer you know it's more competitive than f1 um there's more uh you know entertaining personalities than nascar i'll agree with you uh there um you know has a you know for the NASCAR fans that are pissed off about, you know, the whole, you know, 
season coming down to one race. We have an American series that comes down to, um, it always naturally comes down to one race. Usually this year, I mean, obviously, uh, Alex Plow was very dominant, but more often than not, it comes down to one race, uh, without the need for a contrived, uh, system, uh, you know, that, um, doesn't, you know, make a whole lot of sense like it is in, uh, in NASCAR. Um, you actually have competitive racing on like an F1. So, um, you know, it, it's all about, you know, how they're able to market it and they just haven't figured out a way to market it for whatever reason. Um, I don't, I don't really know what the answer is other than they, they have to figure out ways to make people care about, uh, American open wheel racing in a way that, uh, people haven't really cared about in a long time. Um, they have to figure out a way to, um, you know, break, break into, uh, the market, uh, you know, like, uh, F1 has here, uh, with, uh, their, you know, with what they've been able to do here in America, um, I think part of it is, you know, you talk about the car, I mean, they're going to hybridization this year. So I think, you know, it's a good idea. And I'm curious to see how that plays out in ovals, um, more than I am on road courses, but, um, that's an aspect that could draw interest, but I mean, it's not very much. I mean, let's be honest here in America, we still care about our gas cars, uh, more than, you know, electric cars. Um, you know, obviously I don't, I don't, I don't really have a high opinion on electric cars myself, but, uh, you know, uh, we, we don't really care about that stuff as much as what maybe some, you know, it's still very niche is what I'm trying to say there and, uh, everything. And then, um, the car, I mean, has, you know, the chassis is still the same since 2012. Uh, you know, they made the aero kits update, uh, in 2018, which, you know, looks like more like a traditional Indy car, but you know, they're all, it's all the same cars, you know, they don't have any individual, um, teams building any cars you don't you don't have any other uh potential manufacturers you know like they had in the late 90s that were producing cars uh for uh for the indy car cart series back then so um you know there's no difference so i think you know when you have a spec series you know it's hard you know for uh people to have interest because um you know it it, it all looks the same other than the drivers and you know the individual um teams and um you know, the paint scheme or the liveries and all that stuff. So, um, there's that aspect of it as well. So, you know, and I, I think every time also when they have a chance to try to show that they're legitimate, you know, they always figure out a way to, you know, fall on their faces, you know, like the final race of the season, you know, looked like the truck race at Phoenix, uh, there. So, you know, that made themselves look like a joke, uh, in that aspect, you can argue that the Indianapolis 500 for, you know, how great of a finish it was, you know, it went against kind of their traditionalist, uh, philosophy of, you know, letting, you know, letting it play out naturally. You know, you could tell that they were trying to give the fans a green finish and everything instead of, you know, kind of accepting that maybe sometimes it should come down to, um, a caution, uh, ending the race. So, um, you know, you have that aspect as well. So, um, there's a lot of things, of course, um, we'll get into it later, but you know, the, um, IndyCar video game never, you know, going off the ground, uh, is another huge aspect there. Uh, so, you know, I mean, uh, in terms of popularity, you know, I think they're about, you know, they're below NASCAR right now, um, outside of the Indy 500. Um, you know, they have a chance to break open, 
uh, because, you know, NASCAR has been struggling in the ratings for years. And, you know, this year, particularly from last year, they were struggling in the ratings. And um, I think attendance wasn't as great as well. So at some, uh, you know, many tracks. So there's an opportunity there. But, you know, in terms of like overall popularity, you know, more or less on the level of uh, sports car racing. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if they're able, ever able to improve. But, you know, it starts with more creative thinking um, and being able to market themselves and, um, I guess, be able to, you know, make them make people care about it in the same way people care about uh, Drive to Survive uh, and, you know, even NASCAR to a certain extent. So they still have uh, a lot of work to do. Now, as far as, you know, that goes, I mean, I think it's a giant chunk of that, but, you know, still, you know, the, the mentioned the racing sometimes looking like a joke. I think that still needs to improve. And then I think, you know, the stewards need to be doing a better job of, uh, officiating at times. I think they did a pretty good job, but, um, you know, there's been, uh, more than a handful of times where, you know, the drivers were upset at the, uh, stewards for how they, uh, called a race, uh, during the year and it's happened in the years past. So, I mean, you know, as always, I think that can always improve as well. So, um, be interesting to see, you know, next year, how, this all turns out and you know how uh hybridization uh turns out and you know how that's going to look like at the indy 500 and um just how you know is it going to look like more like talladega or is it you know going to be a lot more spread out than what we've seen in years past we'll see yeah i'm curious about the hybrid thing i mean i do we do talk about formula e on here uh talk about extreme e um but is it the most appealing uh electric racing not so much, but it's there. It's racing. Um, any like the IMSA series, any of these series that have like the regeneration Formula One has had that for a while now, for a long while. Um, I think it's something that is worthwhile. I think having a hybrid component um, is is something that is going to be road going technology. It's going to be something that um, is relevant and um and it just and it's something that we're gonna i think it has to be is going to be a part of road going vehicles for for the for near future so um we'll see how it works in indycar um new car wouldn't hurt but that ain't coming um engines they in having they should have went with a two liter four-cylinder engine back in 2012 or 2011 and this whole issue of having more having manufacturers probably would have been solved a long time ago. Um, and then, yeah, promotions, that's, that's the big one. And yeah, when I, I do agree with uh, your point about the way that um, the stewarding of the races, is that another turnover? Um, the, the steward, the stewarding of races is really like inconsistent at times and selective, but then, we're getting used to that in Formula One and NASCAR with all the so selective enforcement and being consistently inconsistent. So it isn't shocking that major motorsport is having that kind of problem. We'll definitely come back to IndyCar, uh, you know, during the winter while we're in the off season, wanted to give it its due here Um tonight um it's been a couple of months of course since they finished their seasons but uh we're gonna get into the cup series and all the uh 
probably in Xfinity and probably do Xfinity and trucks and whatnot as we get on here getting into the holiday season. Uh, while we watch a absolute shit show of turnovers between Denver and, and Buffalo, um, Buffalo doing everything in their power to lose the game, uh, even though it's a tie game, uh, we'll talk about week 10 of the NFL season. A lot of a lot of uh, last second victories with with the last second field goals. A lot of um, big performances. Josh Allen looking bemused after um, James Cook fumbles, and that doesn't help me in fantasy either. Um, but in terms of the the this past week, we got Denver and. Um, and Buffalo right now looking like a cluster. Uh, you had uh, the this week. I'm trying to get all the results. Uh, that would be nice. I'm just trying to get the, uh, the scores. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So I mean, the in the in the bat in the tank in the toilet bowl, uh, Chicago ended up winning over a horrendous Carolina Panthers team. In uh, another toilet bowl, Indianapolis won in Germany over the New England Patriots, and I think the end is near for Bill Belichick in New England. Uh, Mac Jones is basically um, a sieve. Um, Houston ends up going and winning in a last-second field goal over the Cincinnati Bengals um, on the road with C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud uh, putting himself in i mean not only is he an uh, a likely favorite to win rookie offensive rookie of the year but arguably he's in the mix uh for the MVP conversation um keeping and and D'Amico Ryan's in his first year as Houston Texans head coach uh, is the lead uh, the leading candidate for coach of the year right now um halfway through the year uh, Minnesota with Josh Dobbs. The Josh Dobbs experience continues, and now he's with Minnesota, and they get a win over the New Orleans Saints. They knock out the Vikings, end up knocking out Derek Carr, Michael Thomas, and Marshawn Lattimore in that game. Um, so we'll see how much they're affected. They're going on their bye, so that's something to see after their bye. Pittsburgh wins ugly. Uh, I don't know when you consider that their offense is really not that good uh, outside of Najee Harris. Uh, they beat Green Bay uh, there uh, yesterday. It wasn't pretty, but they got it. Tampa Bay ends up uh, uh, beating up on the Tennessee Tuxedos. Uh, Will Levis in his second uh, start um, got a little, got brought back to earth. And then Tampa Bay now will be going to Santa Clara to play the 49ers. Uh, speaking of the 49ers, um, I know Josh will have his thoughts on uh, Trevor and what Jacksonville did. Uh, the Niners come off of three consecutive losses and get the victory there, and a much-needed victory um, in Duval County. Um but as I say, I mean, with Jacksonville, they're a game ahead of Houston, uh, two, a game and a half ahead of Indianapolis. Division, everything, all roads lead to Jacksonville getting uh, uh, probably a number three seed 
as the year goes on because um I don't I mean Miami with the AFC East there's three teams in that division that are somewhat competitive the AFC North is going to destroy themselves uh and then I mean Kansas City has a two and a half game lead on uh, Vegas so they're going to win the division again so it's really a game for the likes of Jacksonville Baltimore uh, and whoever else to try and uh get ahead of Kansas City so that they can get that number one seed and make Kermit the Frog go on the road. Um, Cleveland gets a big victory uh, on the road against Baltimore late. Uh, they were able to score. They got really had a missed extra point, but then they come back out going later on with turnovers, get a field goal, get that victory. And now uh, Cleveland is only a half game behind uh Baltimore in the division so there's a lot to play for there uh the Arizona Cardinals you had Kyler Murray make his return after uh 11 months out because of the ACL torn ACL and um he came back and he looked just like Kyler Murray with his speed and everything so Arizona which is tanking right now and probably looking for a quarterback or looking for something uh they're they're um they have some life while the Atlanta Falcons don't. The Detroit Lions continue their um, their Jekyll and Hyde kind of deal. They've been very. They've shown they've been able to beat Kansas City. They've been able to beat some big teams, but then they've just as uh, likely have been knocked around a bit. The L.A. Chargers have no defense, um, and which is crazy when you consider some of the players they employ on that defense uh you know that brandon staley's days probably are numbered there as a head coach the new york giants basically sat there and were batting practice for the dallas cowgirls uh in the late window tommy devito having to play they scored 17 points that's about all you can say a lot of infighting going on brian dable um, in his second year as a head coach, having to um, keep things together when things seem to be um, going off the rails. Uh, the Shithawks beat the Washington General Redskin Commanders. Uh, last second field goal there. Uh, commanders have been competitive, even though they have one of the worst offensive lines in the history of mankind. Um, they allow Sam Howell to get destroyed um every game every week but he's tough and he continues to stand up to it he even with the fact that riverboat ron is going to get fired here in the next few weeks probably um and then the raider game which was more a case of um zach wilson being a being absolutely inept at playing quarterback and um not the fact that the raiders have they've with Antonio Pierce as their head coach, have an identity now on both offense and defense. Robert Spillane making the big interception to um, chain to get the to basically end the game there on Sunday Night Football. Aiden O'Connell in his um, run right now as the Raiders quarterback. Uh, wow, that was basically a he was rifling that to make it a jump ball, and then now we're. Um, in a tie ball game in, in the fourth quarter and Monday night football uh, here 
uh, with Denver and with Buffalo. But I mean, for for me, the Niners ended up after three weeks and of losing and going on a bye, uh, playing against a tough opponent in Jacksonville on the road at a one o'clock game. So playing a ten o'clock game, uh, the debut of Chase Young uh, was huge. Uh, even though Eric Armstead got, he was not happy with Brandon Sure for whatever he felt like he got cut uh, on a play where he ended up injuring his knee. But um, that aside, the defensive line was just it looked like a it looked like basically a NHRA race. Everyone he was going off. It's like you're racing to the quarterback. You're racing. He's racing the quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. Nick Bosa was in was in the kitchen of Trevor Lawrence all day. Chase Young was in the kitchen. That's all these guys were. And that was the key really uh on the defensive side of the ball, along with actually playing fundamental uh defense with tackling, which has become a problem uh in recent weeks. The ability to tackle, um identifying who they have to take away, which of course was Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Um you know, both of those guys have made have been, especially Travis Etienne has been playing at a very high level. But the Niners were able to limit him, and once you're able to take away a guy of his caliber, um, when Trevor's having to go and basically sit in the pocket and pray, and for even for as good as Trevor Lawrence is, that's asking for trouble. Um, and then on the offensive side, I mean, CMC doesn't get a touchdown, but Everybody else seemingly did, uh, you know, GK with a big, uh, 66-yard touchdown. Uh, what do you call it? Juice got one. Brandon Ayuk got one early in the game to set the tone. Uh, him and and Brock Purdy have a great chemistry together, but I think the chemistry in general with the whole offense, Brock Purdy went back to what he was. He has been, um, playing within himself, not making bad decisions, forcing the ball. And that's where um, the Niners are able to win games. And, I mean, CMC doesn't get the touchdown, but, you know, it doesn't matter. He's still really, really damn good, and so is Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel being back, also having Trent Williams back was huge. And the Niners were able to go out there and beat a very tough opponent um, on Sunday and put themselves in position uh, going into going back home to play against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to try to put another winning streak together before having to play Seattle twice in three weeks. Um, they're going to be playing Seattle on a short week on Thursday, next Thursday, and for Thanksgiving um, as a nightcap on NBC. And then they're going to be playing them again after playing the Philadelphia Eagles. So that'll be something to look at. Uh, Fantasy-wise, my team and my league continues to struggle. The quarterback play and IDP play has been a problem. I lead one one league. One divi- One of my teams is the leader in that division or that league, so that's something I'm looking forward to, hopefully continuing that uh, league that I've won twice before. Um, in the other regular league, the uh, uh, redraft league, um, I'm having a really good uh good week this week and moving myself up in playoff contention in all three leagues uh in terms of the dynasty i didn't look at it i mean i have when when i was talking about trev and uh 
when so I, I don't know what's going on with that. I'll check it here to see if we Oh, we did win. Okay. Well, that's good. All of a sudden now we're on a winning streak, so we we're actually moving up. I don't know if we're um I don't know if we're we actually have a chance. I mean, yeah, that is an ugly number there. Um picking up uh Trent and Irwin for Cincinnati was a big call. Um Brian Robinson is ended up doing some work. Garrett Wilson, um Minshew Minshew wasn't good. Um, Zach Boss now is basically not a factor anymore. Uh, but yeah, we were winning there. So, uh, uh, Josh, I'll give you the floor uh, on um, your thoughts and takeaways from Jacksonville coming off the bye at home and uh, what transpired uh, for for your your Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, uh, they. Uh... Did not play well, so um, yeah. You say that they could get third place or get um, third place in the NFL or third seed. Sorry, but I mean they have a tougher schedule. To, I mean they just lost to the Forty Niners, uh, and then they have Tennessee next week, which I mean they're not as good. But then um, Houston's on the rise. Um, the uh, Bengals. Uh, on Monday night and then they play the Raven or the Browns and then the Ravens. So those are three really good AFC North teams in a row. And then, uh, the Panthers and, um, the Bucks, which, um, I, I don't know. Panthers probably an easy win, but the Bucks are kind of scrappy and then they end the, uh, the year in Tennessee. So, uh, that'd be interesting there. But, um, I mean, so far this year, their record is, uh, the exact opposite of last year on a game by game basis. Last year they dropped the first game one two in a row, and then went zero for October, losing five in a row before uh, winning their third game uh, at home against Oakland. And this year um, they've they've gone. You know the first game they won, dropped two, won five in a row. Now they've won or lost this past game, uh, and then after that, then. They went two and seven or seven and two to end the year, and if that holds, then they're going to go two and seven uh, and go eight and nine and miss the you know probably miss the playoffs. So uh, if that happens, so um, hopefully it doesn't happen. But that's you know where it's trending right now, and uh, you know based on based on uh, you know how they played yesterday, that's that could be likely. Um, you know their interior offensive line just isn't good uh, against uh, you know San Francisco. The, they um, you know, aren't able to, you know, Trevor's not really able to get into a rhythm because he can't trust the protection from the middle. Um, the left guard and center aren't really great. Um, um, you know, the wide receivers, you know, they, they have slot wide receivers playing horizontal, uh, when they need to be vertical. Um, and they can't be vertical because the offensive line sucks. Um, you know, and they don't really have a, you know, they don't have a wide receiver above six foot that's currently active on the roster. And the one, the guy that, um, well, they do, but um, he hasn't really seen any targets yet or anything. And the one, the one guy that they've been able to trust that's over six foot just got arrested about two hours ago. So uh, Zay Jones being arrested on a mister, misdemeanor uh, for uh, domestic battery or something like that. So um, we'll see how that goes. But um, and they, I think, he has court in the morning. So we'll see how uh, what the you know exact details and everything and. Um, 
you know, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, obviously that's, I mean, it's a misdemeanor, but, um, it's obviously, it's not good to get arrested, of course, but, uh, you know, you have that. Um, so I'm not really worried about Trevor Lawrence, but I don't think he's being set up to, uh, succeed because they didn't, you know, put together a good offensive line this year. Um, the, you know, they didn't do anything in free agency to improve really. Um, and they kept their own guys. Um, you know, they traded for Calvin Ridley, which looked good back then, but now it looks like a tarot, like that wasn't a, a good trade, uh, cause he hasn't produced, um, largely because he's probably not being, I mean, he's not, he's not being schemed for correctly. Um, they're not putting him in the, the right, the right scenarios. They have figured out how to use them. So, um, you know, this probably all ends in a year's time with, uh, you know, Doug Peterson or, uh, you know, getting, probably getting fired or something. So, um, cause I, you know, Trevor Lawrence needs to be a, you know, uh, down the field type, aggressive type player. And he probably fits in more of a Bruce Arians type offense, uh, in his, you know, you know, player of his talent, you know, not this like horizontal, um, you know, 15 play per drive, uh, West coast offense, um, where you just, you know, kind of, um, you know, get, chunk play not chunk plays but um you know move the chains uh you know every every three plays type of drives so um because that, that's just really really painful to play uh football and you don't have really a, a good margin of error uh to you know be able to do that and you know Travis Etienne has played good but you know he's also struggled because they can't block up the middle and you know they face the monster team like the 49ers and you know he wasn't able to do anything outside of a 16 yard run uh to the outside so you know you have that so we'll see how they go next week i mean it should be a rebound game uh hopefully against the titans but um you know it's still got a tough divisional opponent in the texans that they play on the road uh post thanksgiving so you know we'll see we'll see how how it goes there but you know um it's not as comfortable as what it looked like two weeks ago. And, you know, people were talking about, you know, wanting or comparing him to CJ Stroud and, you know, CJ Stroud has nothing to do with this. Like why does CJ Stroud being good make uh, Trevor Lawrence a bad uh, quarterback or anything? It's just, you know, it's just horse shit or whatever to make those kind of comparisons. And those, you know, people are just, you know, people that, you know, want to see fantasy numbers or video game numbers, you know, um, every week. And, um, you know, he's proven that he can play good. It's just that they're not putting him in a good good place. And that brings question of the, uh, you know, offensive philosophy and um, who's in charge of this. So, you know, Balky didn't didn't do them right by um, not setting them up right with the right the right uh, players. And then um, Peterson, uh, who deflected play calling to Press Taylor for whatever reason. Um, I mean, whoever it is, Press Taylor or Doug Peterson, they're not scheming them up right to be able to, um, you know, give their players a chance at success. So, um, we'll see how, how it goes next week. But, um, you know, I, you know, their ability to win over good teams, they haven't, they, you know, they didn't beat the chiefs. They didn't beat the 49ers. So, uh, we'll see if they make the playoffs, how far they actually go. So kind of ready just to sim to the off season or at least sim to, um, end of the season, see where they end up, uh, if that's the playoffs or not. So, um, you know, cause I'm, you know, it's clear that the offense is just going to struggle and it's just going to look like a car accident half of the time. So, um, you know, it's not looking, not looking good. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, has nine touchdowns and more turnovers than touchdowns. So, um, which, you know, I, you know, think some of it is his fault, but, you know, I, again, like, yeah, I 
think they're just not uh, in a position to be able to succeed, you know, with the right, uh, you know, the right personnel and the right uh, scheme uh, and, uh, you know, play, play calling philosophies. So um, they'll probably get carried by the defense going to the end of the year. So we'll see how that goes, uh, which, you know, they defensively, they played, I think they played well in the first half defensively, but, you know, you need an offense to be able to uh, put pressure on well, and they weren't able to do that. So, um, you know, Trayvon Walker, Josh Allen played well in the first half. Foye Lucon played well. So, um, you know, they were able to get pressure on Brock Purdy outside of that one touchdown drive that they had in the first half or the first quarter. So, uh, but then, of course, uh, the game got blown wide open with, uh, you know, isolating or, you know, is- isolating George Kittle uh, in, in coverage and only only having him covered by a single linebacker. And that was pretty much the uh, backbreaker uh, in that game. So, um, yeah, I mean, this, this is a game for the Jaguars that uh, kind of makes you, if you're a Jaguars fan, questions your existence. And I just lost on fantasy there. So, um, yeah, that's uh, interesting to see that play out like that uh definitely not the game that they wanted but and kind of expected it to be a lot closer than 34 to 3 so uh we'll see we'll see how it goes uh next week uh against the titans and hopefully hopefully there aren't any away fans this time because that was just sad for whatever reason a lot of fans wearing red in the stands again so um just like there was against the chiefs because you know they had to um you know resell their tickets or other companies buying up seats or whatever it is. I mean, I know, I know Florida's turning into the new California. So maybe people are really hurting for money here. Um, you know, with people, um, uh, buying or, you know, prices inflating and, uh, cost of living going up in the last couple of years. So maybe that's a factor there, but still, um, not a good sight to see with the stadium being dominant, uh, and the other team's colors. So, you know, hopefully we'll have to deal with that the rest of the season, but yeah, this wasn't a good look for sure. Yeah, it's something that, you know, after on for the Niners, after the way they played the three weeks, especially when they got, they basically got um, demolished by Cincinnati. Uh, they weren't really in the game against Cleveland. Coming off of it, they ended up, yeah, losing to Minnesota. That, that was with, um, uh, what's his name going down to? Um, I mean, either way, uh, it's something you have. It, it, it's it's a one week league. Every you can have a have one week or three weeks where you're not looking great, and then the next week you're back in in business. And I mean that's where it's something to look at. There's things to solidify, and had concerns others would acquire certain. Yeah, that's yeah that would have been. Uh, been good if if the Niners could have gotten Patrick Sertan, but looks like Denver's going to be in the mix. Um, otherwise, yeah. So that's that's something. I mean, there's a lot to look look at as uh, we get through the second half of this season. Um, when you're talking about who who's in who's in play, the AFC is going to be very difficult to make it um, wherever you are, whether it's you're trying to win or trying to get in with a division or trying to go and um, put yourself in a position uh, as a wild card. And the contrast to that, of course, is um, the contrast to that is the NFC with how bad the NFC is in general. Uh, But, you know, that's that's kind of the way things go. It used to be a long time ago, the NFC was was above, way above 
the AFC, and now these days it's the other way around with all the great quarterback play there is in the a in the AFC. So we'll see what happens next week, um, and we'll talk about it on the GSP. All right, so let's move on. Um, MotoGP and Moto2 uh, at Malaysia uh, this past weekend. Uh, uh, they, uh, in terms of the MotoGP, Enea Bastaini gets his first win as a factory Ducati rider, uh, something that a lot of people thought was going to happen uh, a lot more this year, but uh, hasn't because of um, the issues, injuries suffered early in the season. Um, Bastaini, Bastaini who gets the win over, uh, oh wow, Cook gets another big run, um, over Alex Marquez, who won the sprint on Saturday, and Pecco and Bastaini's teammate Pecco Bagnaia, uh, gets the rounds out the podium, double podium for the Ducati factory. Jorge Martin finishes behind Bagnaia in both the sprint and the race. Yamahas get a 5-7 from Quattararo and Morbidelli, a uh, uh, sandwiched in between is Marco Basecchi with the VR46. And uh, Luca Marini, his teammate and the brother of Valentino Rossi, is rumored to be going to Honda to take over the ride being vacated by Mark Marquez. Um, amongst us, at least one person that... Um, that is in play. Fabio DG Antonio uh, is another one that's in, in talks, but doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. There were um, Miguel Oliveira, I think, was the initial choice, but they didn't want to give him a multi-year deal, so he didn't want to take that, considering some of the options he may have. And being a multi-time Grand Prix winner, you know, the Aprilia package right now is much more competitive than Honda. Uh, the standings right now, uh, Peko Bagnaia has a 14-point lead on Jorge Martin with uh, two races to go, or four total races to go, um, because they have two sprints and two races, um, two actual races. Uh, Marco Besecchi solidly in uh, third. Brad Binder basically solid in fourth. Johan Zarco and Alicia Spargo separated by two points uh, for fifth. Then Maverick Vinales and Luca Marini, uh, four points separating those two guys. Fabio Quattararo, Joanne Mir, Alex Marquez uh, for the last couple of spots in the top 10 separate all their seven points for those guys. Then in uh, Moto2, uh, go over here, I'm trying to get... Just bring that up. Moto two. Um, Pedro Costa. Uh, finally, after what has been essentially was uh, we thought was going to happen uh, at the at the onset of the season, but um, Pedro Costa ends up winning the Moto two title and uh, has won in he won in Moto three. He's won in Moto two, and he's going to be moving on to uh tech three uh to race race for gas gas and ktm so that is uh something to see what he's going to be able to do um next season as a rookie in moto gp um we'll see what happens there in the race itself though Philippe aldeguer who's another person who's being talked about to possibly move up into moto gp next year 
possibly to take over the ride Luca Marini might be exiting. Uh, gets the win over Acosta. Uh, Ramirez third for the OnlyFans American Racing Team. So a big result for them. Joe Roberts finishes eighth. Uh, then I'm trying to see who else. Yeah, Sean Dillon Kelly back uh, racing for the forward team. Uh, finished 19th. The other, I'm trying to look for the other. Yeah, and Rory Skinner finished 20th uh, in the Grand Prix. So the you want to go and look at the standings. So yeah, Pedro Costa is your Moto2 World Champion. Uh, Tony Arbolino solidly in second. Jake Dixon has a 21-point lead over Aldeguer. Uh And then you add another yeah 24-point lead on Aaron Kinnett. Somikat Chantra is in sixth. Um, Joe Roberts is three and a half points behind Sergio Garcia for 13th. And um, you're probably not going to get up there to the top 10. It's going to would need a lot of help to get to 10th um, or even 11th. I think best case scenario in the next two rounds is to possibly get up to Sam Lowe's there. Um Ramirez getting his best finish of the year and like tripling the amount of points he's had uh, with uh, his third with his podium finish moves up to 17th in points. Uh, Skinner 28th in points with two uh, two points so far this year and Sean Dillon Kelly the last person who has scored um, a point so far this year. Um, bunch of guys who have either had wild cards or not raced all year, um, don't have any points. I don't think there's only maybe two guys that have raced all year that haven't scored a point, so something to look at. Uh, they'll be racing at uh, Qatar here uh, this coming weekend with, so getting putting themselves, getting ready for the end of their season, seeing what they can do. Uh, in NHRA, the season finale, the NHRA finals at Pomona sees uh, Doug Coletta get the victory, race victory, and win his first top field title after nearly, I mean, he's been at this game going back to the 90s um, uh, after he, he stopped racing in USAC, uh, goes and gets that, gets that victory, goes and wins, beats Leah Pruitt in the finals to go and get that championship. Uh What's it called? I'm trying to look. Doug Coletta came out from the number five spot, beat Dan Mercier, Josh Hart, and Justin Ashley on his way to the final. Leah Pruitt from the number six spot, beat Tony Schumacher, Antron Brown, and Steve Torrance uh, to get to the final. Austin Proc was the number one qualifier, but got knocked out in the second round. In Funny Car, uh, Chad Green gets his first career victory uh, in the against Tim Wilkerson. Green was the number eight qualifier, beat J.R. Todd, Robert Height, who was the number one qualifier and competing for the championship. Blake Alexander uh, beats Blake Alexander. Um, Matt Hagen ends up losing to Blake Alexander, but he had done enough to um, become now a four-time funny car champion, winning the first championship for Tony Stewart racing in NHRA. Um, Wilkerson... Came from the number 10 spot, beat Ron Caps, a defending series champion, John Force in the second round, and Cruz Pentagon in the semifinal. What kind of defense is this? Jesus. Um, and then uh, in pro stock, uh, 
pro stock here waiting. Yeah, Aaron Stanfield gets the victory. Um, Eric Anders gets uh, another championship. Lost in the semifinals to Matt Hartford, but she had locked up the championship. Aaron Stanfield from the number five spot beat Derek Kramer, Troy Coughlin Jr., um, Anderson Redlit, and then beats Matt Hartford in the final. Uh, Hartford from number seven spot beat Dallas Gwed, Kyle Koretsky, and Enders uh, on his way to the final. Pro Stock Motorcycle was Gage Herrera. This whole entire year was Gage Herrera. Uh, qualified number one. Uh, basically, didn't have to race against Blaine Hale. Um, then he beat Ellie Tonglet in the second round, Steve Johnson, and then beats his teammate Eddie Krawick yet again. Uh, Eddie Krawick from the number three spot beat Chris Bostick, Mark Ingerson, and Hector Arana Jr. Uh, to get to the final there. So that was, those are the four pro categories. Uh, Doug Coletta wins the championship by 48 points over Steve Torrance, 57 over Leah Pruitt. In Funny Car, Matt Hagen wins the championship by 12 points over Robert Height and 17 over Bob Tasca. Uh, pro Stock uh, Enders won it during qualifying, and so did uh, Gage Herrera. Uh, both those drivers won their championships and during the qualifying session. Uh, Rally Japan, of course, um, Callie Rovampere has won the championship already. Manufacturers Championship. I think is still uh, still might be in play, or I mean, maybe I think, or I might be wrong on that. But last race of the season, uh, Rally Japan, the championship standings in terms of drivers. Efren Evans has a seven-point lead over Thierry Neuville, so Toyota trying to get a one-two in the standings. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, Atanek. In fourth, Sebastian Auger, who hasn't run every race, uh, but is fifth. Lappy um, for Hyundai uh, right now in sixth. Katsuda seventh, racing his home rally. See what he can do there. Um, actually, Oliver Solberg, who's racing in a WRC2, uh, is actually um, intent in, in the World Championship, which is something. And then Manufacturers Championship is... Um, Toyota, uh, yeah, they won it. Yeah, so Toyota's won the the Manufacturers Championship. They're 105 points ahead of Hyundai. So, yeah, so that's what's going on there. So we'll see what happens in Rally Japan to end the 2023 World Rally Championship season. And then, I mean, in terms of news uh, going on, Ben Bayshore's moving to um, Legacy Motor Club to uh, work with John Hunter in Cup next year. Um, Mark Marquez, who's moving over to uh, Ducati, is going to bring Red Bull with him. Uh, He got a bunch of IMSA announcements with uh, driver lineups uh, in all classes. Alexander Rossi will race in Rolex 24 for FAF and the McLaren. Uh, Oliver Jarvis will be a full-time regular in that FAF McLaren, the Iron Links Lamborghini. They'll race three um, Lamborghini Huracans at the Rolex 24, one for the um, Iron Dames coming off of their victory uh, at uh, Bahrain to end the GTM category. Uh, Raffaele Marciello is moving, um, more than likely moving to 
BMW to race uh, in the World Endurance Championship in prototype category. Uh, Daniel Junkandela, a f- longtime Mercedes driver, is going to be racing for Corvette. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, a big big uh, pickup there. Um, go through some of these other people. I got that. Um, and get through that. Yeah. So Kirk, yeah, Jarvis, then AO Racing, who's been racing those uh, wildly painted um, Porsches. They're gonna race one uh, Porsche with in with uh, Sebastian Prio uh, in GT Pro Hyatt and Paul Loop Chatin who won who was uh, who competed for the championship in LMP2 this year with uh, um, the heck am I forgetting his name now um, Ben Keating uh, they're gonna be in LMP2 uh, racing next year so that category is gonna be deep quite deep and and uh interesting next year uh mario farnbacher and zachary robichon will be moving over to harder racing in aston martin uh, so that's just a few yeah earl bamber is gonna race the enduros for corvette and then they'll be he'll of course be racing uh for ganassi and the world endurance championship in the cadillac uh LMDH um, on the World Endurance side, so that'll be uh, his other job there. Sebastian Bourdais and Renger Van de Zanda will continue in the 01 Ganassi uh, LMDH in IMSA. So that's uh, those are some of the news items there um, in the world of sports cars. And the one last thing I'll bring up is with uh, recent uh, news here, the last couple of days that the great Ken Squire, his health is deteriorating and he might be at the end. Uh, it's one thing for me as a, a someone who has written uh, for, had time writing, someone who has um, been able to cover the sport with this podcast and talk about motorsports and um have platforms to go to to talk about this passion of mine uh it wouldn't be there without the likes and uh, the 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 people like ken squire his voice is something that basically was a part of my childhood um the squireisms and everything i caught him on the later end of his career but for him uh I think one of the great things was the those years with Darlington where they would invite him back and they'd have Ned Jarrett as well and they'd come back during the second stage of the Southern 500 and they'd call the race. And that's where Eric Jones got his nickname. Uh, I always go and talk, say, that Jones boy from Byron, Michigan, that Truax kid from Mayetta, New Jersey, you know, all those great line all the great sayings and squireisms and all and um you know hopefully you know praying for for him to you know keep going and being able to be all right but if it is the his time i mean he's one of the great great uh, people that has ever been in the world of motorsports and nascar the way we look and view motorsports in general wouldn't be around if it weren't for ken squire uh, so, you know, hopefully thoughts and, 
and our our prayers for uh, Ken Squire right now at this time. Uh, Josh, uh, let us know what's going on in the world of uh, sim racing and gaming on the sim segment. Oh, I thought we were going to go over F1 first before. Oh, yeah, that's right. I yeah. forgot. That's that's what I get for, uh, I was going to, yeah, the 1 a.m. Grand Prix, as um, you aptly called it. Um, I don't know who picked the last last week. I mean, I think we, yeah, you were, I was first, so you get first dibs on uh, who who finishes behind uh, fish lips, I guess. Okay, yeah, I was looking at the game here, and it looks like the Broncos are going to miss on the last second field goal. Wow, and a flag. So No, there's 12 men on the field for the Buffalo the- Bills. Wow. <laughs> wow, crazy. Okay. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, and and isn't McDermott didn't McDermott coach special teams at some point too? He was a special teams coach for yeah. Carolina, I think. Yeah. So uh-huh. that's just inexplicable to have that kind of penalty there. Um Denver gets a second chance and Yeah. Well, he missed I, the kick in the first half, so let's see here. Don't say anything yet because um, I know I'm behind. Oh, you got it. Yeah. So wow. Uh, Denver now moves to four and five, and Buffalo's uh, downslide continues. They are now five and five. Uh, Will Lutz, who used to kick for the New Orleans Saints, uh, pipes it right through the middle there. Um, nice and pure. And Denver uh, will now go. Uh, go back home or no they're going to minnesota i think for sunday night football so and josh dobbs experience so we'll see how that all goes uh next week yeah so anyways though i guess on the f1 picks i mean obviously uh for stopping first um i'm gonna go with i should probably just pull up the results from last week and go off of play off of that not exactly but you know i need to remember uh i'll go land yeah i'll go lando norris second and then sergio perez in third so round out podium yeah for me uh yeah fish lips uh will win uh and then i'll go with i will go with uh instead yeah i'm gonna go with uh lewis hamilton in second in second and then third place i will say is uh is Charlie Claire round out podium? I the curiosity is what the racing will be like. There isn't any other racing going on outside of the Grand Prix. Uh, the temperatures and dag and all that stuff is curious to see what uh, will go on. Uh, track evolution is going to be huge throughout the weekend with the lack of running there's going on. So something that we'll have to look at. Um, in terms of what to expect, I mean, what does this mean? This Grand Prix is trying to essentially, like you brought it up, Josh, offline, like essentially this Grand Prix is like Monaco, you know, like they want to have an American version of Monaco. So um, it isn't anywhere near as, you know, exclusive or, you know, you don't have all the, the fancy boats and all the classic turns that have been around for uh, 83 years or whatever the hell. But, 
you know, you have the Las Vegas Strip, you have the lights, you have all the casinos, you have um, big name acts and big name people are going to show up there. Uh, so is it it's is it really more of a marketing exercise? Yeah, probably. Uh, when you consider that there's one dominant figure that wins every race, it becomes more of a procession. And when you and knowing that a lot of people are just going to be shit faced and drunk and throwing up all over themselves at that point of the evening, um, I, I guess that's what they want. But um, Formula One and uh, Liberty has put in a lot of money um, building a permanent pit uh, and build the buildings and a uh, uh, pit road and garages and the whole thing. So I guess they really are invested in making sure this race comes off so i guess we'll see how it does come off this weekend and talk about it next week uh on the gsp uh now we'll go to you josh and talk about uh the sim sim uh racing i racing and indycar you brought up earlier too with what's going on with them and their um the trials and tribulations they're going through with making a game yeah, I mean, IndyCar, I mean, I think it's a big story with uh, motorsports games finally uh, suspending development because um, they're pretty much all about to go under, I think. And, yeah, it's really bad for them, obviously. And, of course, even bad for IndyCar that they're not going to have their game uh, produced. And, um, you know, IndyCar, obviously, they're now looking at alternatives to getting their game. Well, I mean, come on, let's just make up with iRacing and get it over with and, you know, sponsor the series again and get the, you know, biggest, one of the biggest sim races in the world. You know, I got to defend my title, man. So, um, you know, I got to be able to um, come back and win it and everything. So get the iRacing Indy 500 back on, on the table and all that stuff and figure something out. Cause yeah, this is not, uh, you know, not what we want to see. I mean, regardless of, you know, all this, like, don't want to see um a title have to get you know canceled because or suspended at least uh because uh you know incompetency or um financial whatever the issue is with the producing company so um it's unfortunate that it's come down to this but you know again like we said earlier you know with Penske being able to promote the series and I feel like some good foresight we could have seen this from the get-go uh you know, or at least they could have, they could have made better decisions on that. They didn't have to partner with this company, which, you know, they made NASCAR ignition and 2021 ignition. And that was really bad. And I don't really know why they had to partner with this company to come out with the game that ultimately is probably never going to come out. So it's uh, unfortunate, but you know, we'll have to, you know, hopefully they are able to correct the result. So um, as for my sim racing, um, mainly, yeah, mainly focused on uh, NASCAR 87s at Fontana. Uh, it was good, good runs there. Uh, finished top five in my uh, or top ten, top five in my runs there this weekend or this past week. Uh, it was tires, you know, tires are important. Um, you know, in the last race I ran, I think I used up my. Well, I pitted uh, on the first caution for tires, and uh, the first caution came out with like. Uh, I don't know, lap 10 of like, or lap 15 of, you know, 65 and probably should have waited, uh, 
another for the next caution to change my tires because by the last caution that came out with like 10 to go uh, which came out because somebody stopped on the track and we were having a good battle for uh up front in the top five but in top seven but uh i did not have any tires and so uh the you know leader came down pit road and got his tires and then then two laps he was able to uh get back to uh, the front and then it came down to two to go and um he was making a pass for the lead and they got bumped and spun out so uh and then caution came out and ended the race so um yeah that was uh um you know need to be able to plan better so that you have tires available on the last possible caution uh, always always save your set for the possible because you get two sets in the 87 uh series so you know, at least save one set of tires for um you know possible finish like that especially at a track like um fontana where it's you know very worn out uh compared to uh other you know tracks and you know, tires really matter on a short run where you can make up that much time so uh you know look out for that next time so um you know got that and then i uh, ran some road course racing formula forwards at okiyama ran got a podium finished second uh in that one in the open series so uh ran i mean i didn't change the setup or anything but ran in the open series and you know ran pretty competitively and figured out something there and then uh you know had a good run there um and then also ran the toyota gr86s at uh watkins Glen on the cup layout uh road course layout and uh ran okay there my first attempt and the second attempt just never got off the ground because on the start some jabroni went and tried to jump the start and then crashed and it started according in fact that basically took a bunch of people out in the top 10 and that included me so never really got off the ground there and uh honestly i was i was able to you know i didn't quit the race but try to um get back out on track and the guy the guy had started it all got ahead of me and then tried to really hunt him down i was uh i was gonna i wasn't gonna wreck him but you know i was gonna probably um you know give him a give him a friendly uh door rub there but wasn't able to get up to his door to be able to do that so um you know because i didn't appreciate it and then afterwards uh, you know i should have protested it but uh you know that was definitely when jumping the start i think is something that you can or should be able to protest uh in that game so um probably should not but i uh forgot to so whatever but i didn't like that but you know still thought i did well uh you know in road course racing this past week on iRacing and then um you know as a side note uh, i went go-karting again at bushnell for the first time in, since july uh went there and uh you know they they had their uh softer compound tires that they were running on their rental go-karts because last weekend uh they had a solo event uh 60 lap endurance and 70 lap endurance event uh last weekend which i want to do but it was my birthday and i want to spend time with family also but uh, i guess i could have done that but um uh anyways though they left they left the tires on for uh the past week so that people could go out and try them after the endurance events so came out and tried that uh spent you know five races there and did that uh ran my best lap before that was like a 70.73 something i think or 72.73 something and then um this past week i was able to get it down to 70 point um uh 37 i think so two two and a half second improvement there um so you know very you know very quick on the tires you know it's good 
good laps, but someone else put up a 68.7. So I still apparently have two and a half seconds to gain somehow. So, um, or a second and a half. So that was still, still a lot, but I asked the guy later, it's like, um, what do you like? What did you do here uh, on that lap? And he's like, I don't know. I have no idea what I'm doing. So, um, you know, it's sometimes it works out like that. And being able to uh, run run fast, but you know, as soon as you got in the in the cart with the uh, the softer tires, you knew you knew they were good as soon as you drove out of the pits. So, um, you know, it gave you the confidence to really uh, drive, you know, with uh, good pace and to be able to um, attack the corners and. Um, you know, get out on the exits with tons and tons of grips. So that was fun. Uh, one of my friends came with me. He definitely improved from uh, last time we went out go-karting. Um, you know, he was good there and then had a had a good lap uh, in one of our sessions. So he did well there. So I was, you know, proud of it. You know, we're a couple of friends here that we've been kind of go-karting with off and on. Uh, one of them moved and then the other two guys still trying to get them up to speed. And, you know, we've been helping them out throughout the year. So being able to get them good. So we're making progress there. So glad to be able to, you know, kind of spread, spread the, you know, racing culture, spread the co-carding culture and be able to, you know, get good at that. So that was fun. So, uh, it's good, good Saturday or good Friday to be able to spend, uh, on the day off. So from work, so being able to, uh, do that and spend, spend some time out of the track, uh, in addition to, you know, I racing. So that was good. And, um, Actually, since I was often the times the fastest guy, except for that one dude, uh, passing other cars, lapping them, it's definitely aggressive. And I think there's maybe a couple of times where um, I surprised past somebody because I was just not um, going to let people hang hang around in front of me for too long. And I think some people had to take evasive action and go into the dirt. Uh, so that was a kind of part of it. But you know, I was trying to, trying to not waste any time, trying to put down laps on these good tires and not waste that opportunity. So had to, had to be able to pass them, uh, very aggressively, uh, you know, and obviously having the confidence to do that with uh, softer compound tires, you know, uh, let's see, do that and come out on the other side without losing too much time. So had to do it, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it was fun being able to race out there, uh, on Friday. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll do it again later, you know, got to try to get into back into one of the pro carts, I guess, but you know, until then try to still improve and hone the craft on the rental carts. So as always, that's fun. So, uh, yeah, good, good weekend of, uh, you know, real racing, I guess, and good weekend of sim racing decently. So, um, of course, um, the streams, of course, when I stream, uh, Twitch TV slash you sailor to, uh, Twitter takes and everything at, uh, JP Helfine on Twitter, and then of course our podcast, where we upload the show, uh, YouTube at Grip Show Podcast. So go on there and uh, you know watch our streams and watch our content on there, and you know follow me for insight on the Jacksonville Jaguars and you know other racing takes and all that stuff. So follow me on there and you know see what I'm thinking, and um, good chance I'll probably um, probably just repeat what I see or tweet on there onto the show and give more expanded, you know, thought on that. So, uh, follow me on there. So yeah, as always, uh, glad to be able to do it for another week and you'll know, be able to, um, uh, you know, talk about it on here with you. Oh, absolutely, man. Oh, as always say, wouldn't do it. Wouldn't want to do it with anyone else. Uh, we have fun here. Uh, even when we see horrendous football, like what the Buffalo bills played today, um, the Jekyll and Hyde, 
that is the Buffalo Bills. I think they're turning into the San Diego LA Chargers with how bad they're performing. But um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, we got this deal. We talk about it. Been doing this for four years, almost getting to the end of season four. Just crazy to think, and closer, close to 200 episodes, which is also crazy to think. Uh, here you can find us um, at uh, you can find us anywhere you find podcasts. Basically, uh, you're at you can find the show on my blog site, philipgmatthew.com. You can find me at pgmatthew28 um, at on Twitter, on X, Twitter, whatever. You can find uh, me at Philip G. Matthew 28 on Insta. Uh, find us, of course, on YouTube, as Josh mentioned. And so um, to find us with the video stream and also uh, getting this, getting the show out uh, with the sound uh, on Podbean, amongst other places, uh, you find us over there. So that is how to follow us and at GripstraPod on Twitter as well. So with that, uh, we will be back for next week on episode 195 uh, with the Gripster podcast and uh, talk about Formula One, the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Uh, we'll get into NFL Week 11 and um, whatever else is coming up in regards to in regards to the world of motorsports we'll talk about here uh, on the Gripster podcast. So for Josh, I'm Phil. Take care and we'll see you next time.